are listening to Cold Lake Community Church Podcast. I hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families come together. Okay, so before I get into the sermon, I just want to talk about can you stop for one moment, and I want you to think of the strangest person you know. Okay, so don't look at me. Just kind of look off in the distance. Don't look at the person beside you, and just think to yourself. Think of, like, I'm thinking of, like, the Kramer character from Friends, or not from Friends, <laughs> from Seinfeld. Okay, so think about, just take a moment and think about that, who that person, or someone you know who is strange. Got one? Okay. So after being in ministry for, with Lance for 20 years, he is the strangest, no, just joking, we've gotten to meet a lot of different people. And by different, I just mean different from us, that we wouldn't probably be in circles with if we hadn't done ministry. Because ministry, culture of heaven, crosses um, financial things, it crosses social circles, it just, cha- it just makes you rub shoulders with people. It's like being in a workplace sometimes. Sometimes people work in a place where you're constantly surrounded by people who are a lot like you because you do the same job. But sometimes you're in workplaces where you're like such a multicultural place. Lots of differences. I personally love meeting new people. I love meeting people one-on-one. I'm not really crazy about going to places where there's large crowds like West Edmonton Mall, especially Galaxyland. Uh, but what I do like is I like hearing people's story. I love hearing the story of how they came to the Lord. I love hearing uh, people's engagement stories or mar- wedding day stories. I love hearing baby stories. And, um, you know, like Lance isn't like that. We went to a restaurant once and there was a box. It was like an antique kind of restaurant. Uh, I'm not really sure how you describe it, but the box by our table was a cigar box with old photographs, and I started looking at these pictures of people I didn't even know, and one picture was a picture of a bunch of brides, and it says, all their husbands went to war, and I almost started bawling at the table, and I'm like, Lance, do you think they all came back? And he's like, we don't even know them. Those pictures are from like 100 years ago. But, you know, I just love stories. Just give me a good story. I'm so happy. So <clears throat> if you find that people who are quite different from you are really annoying, you have to, have to, have to talk to God about that and try to understand them. You have to try and understand, because I think God puts really different people in our life so we can learn a lesson from them. And the thing is, the secret is, is that if you just avoid them, if you're annoyed with them, and you just try to keep your distance, they will stay in your life longer. It's true. But as soon as you kind of get over it, and you just maybe open your heart a bit and get to know them, because you know what, the Bible, well, not the Bible, (laughs) somebody said this, people who know each other seldom differ. And when you understand someone, when you understand that, you know what, maybe their life is different than mine, But pain is pain, no matter who's had it. Joy is joy. You know that feeling. (coughs) Excuse me. So getting to understand people who are different than you is always a God thing. See, the thing about the kingdom of God is that no one person reflects God. Okay, so Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the only one who can say that. There are so many spiritual people, but 
you know, even Mother Teresa, who probably is the most publicly known person who had poured out her life in serving the poor and really giving of herself, she still does not adequately represent Christ as Christ said, I represent the Father. So I want you to think now of one of the kindest people you've ever met. Oh, the room just filled with happy thoughts. That's so nice. So when you think about someone like that and you think, you know what, I, maybe it was someone who, maybe it was your mother, maybe it was your sister, Graham, maybe. <laughs> maybe a teacher or a stranger or someone who gave you a gift at an unexpected time. You know, I broke my arm about two years ago quadding, and I'm not a quadder. That's a whole other sermon. Um, but when I had broken my arm, I had this sling on, and I was walking into No Frills, and this lady is walking towards me, and she goes, oh, my goodness, what did you do? And I said, I broke my arm. And she said, oh, oh, I'm sorry. She said, I don't even know you. She thought she knew me. And I'm like, that's okay. It felt so good that you cared. <laughs> Thank you. But, you know, kindness always is a reflection of God's nature because God is kind. God is love. He's not just a loving God. He is love. And so today I want to talk to you about following after Christ. There's so many different kinds of people, and lots of people contribute great things to our life. But sometimes following after people can trip us up, right? All right. So one of the people in the Bible who have always fascinated me, love this character, is John the Baptist. Anyone else like a John the Baptist fan? Like, man, he is out there. He is not trying to conform to nothing. Anyone have a child who has personality traits of John the Baptist? So this is usually a firstborn, usually someone who has this deep sense of justice and uh, strong-willed, probably takes after their father. Uh, so anyway, even this morning, as Mackenzie's walking out the door to take the dog for the walk, she's very mad because a hairbrush I had bought that said, uh, good for thick hair, helps get rid of tangles. She was arguing with me out the front door. I do not like that brush, and I think we should return it to the store because it is not good on thick hair. And I think we should speak to the manager, and I'm pushing her out the door with the dog. Just go. But, you know, she has such this sense of we've got to make everything right, you know? And so, you know, we'll drive by a liquor store, and she'll say, that's another one I'll be closing down when I grow up. And <clears throat> so, you know, John the Baptist was like this. He came, and he had this message of, you know, right and wrong. Like, he was not a friendly warrant. He didn't open up with a joke. He opened up with, you brought of vipers. You know, really? So, John's, let's read what it says about John in chapter 4 of Luke. So, John's clothes were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. Okay, I've been learning about superfoods, and locusts is not on there. That's kind of wild. People went out from Jerusalem and Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. He had an extraordinary birth announcement. Uh, he, had, he was a pastor's kid. He was supposed to follow in the priesthood because that was the tradition. If your father was a priest, you were a priest. And um, so he, had, he was a pastor's kid, but he rejected the traditional way. He didn't follow up after his dad in the temple, he ended up going uh, to a school further away and um, out in the wilderness. He was the cousin of the Messiah. 
he had this powerful call of destiny on his life like nobody else has ever had. Um, he was the last prophet of the Old Covenant. I think this is kind of really significant into understanding who John was because every prophet in the Old Testament had what? They had this sense of justice. They would tell kings, you're in sin. They would tell leaders, God told me, you better change this. They, were, they had more they had more almost authority than kings from the people. The people knew if the prophet was coming in town, there's a message, this is serious, we've got to pay attention. Prophets carried weight. He was the last one of the old covenant, okay? Because Jesus hadn't died and resurrected, so nobody had heard a word from God for 300 years. There had been lots of people coming proclaiming to be the Messiah. There had been lots of people out there speaking things, but there was no God-sent prophet for 300 years. So that's hugely important. So he's in the wilderness. People are coming from all over to hear him, even though he's insulting them and just basically telling them. He was like the Gordon Ramsay of prophetic ministry back then. So no wonder he, he was fascinating, eh? Um, here's some interesting reversals, what I call kind of like um, those flip side things that... Um, like, you know, how if you want to find your life, you have to lose it. The least will be the greatest. Just kind of interesting things that seem to be opposites. John and Jesus both started ministry after 30 years of training. They both had a ministry that lasted three years. In our society, we train for three years and we minister for 30. Isn't that a little upside down, hey? John was the son of a priest who didn't follow or hang out in the temple. Jesus was the son of a carpenter, but he was often found in the temple. And John's father was struck dumb. He could not speak. Once he found out, the angel showed up and said, You're gonna have a, your wife's going to conceive, you're going to have a son. Obviously, it was shocking news. So what happens? He has a son, and what, his, what is the destiny of his son? His son is the voice calling from the wilderness. His dad struck silent. And he is the voice. Like, that is awesome. <laughs> so he is the voice calling to people in the wilderness, the one that was prophesied of. John was the wake-up call, and Jesus was the word. Was the word, is the word, always will be the word. We don't hear anything about John until he comes on the scene preaching. It just says that he was, he was healthy and spirited. I think that means he didn't nap well. But anyway, so Matthew chapter 11 uh, talks about Jesus and John the Baptist, and uh, this is after Jesus, after Jesus had been baptized. They're both kind of doing their own ministry things, and um, in verse 11, it says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you have heard and seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swaying in the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? 
A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those, were, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palace. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Okay, has anybody else in this room ever read that scripture and said, what? What do you mean, greatest, least? Like, he's the greatest, but he's the least. Like, I just couldn't get my head around it. Because I'm like, obviously, John's a Christian. He's going to be in heaven. Like, what do you mean by that? So I started digging, and it's so awesome. Like, if, you're, if that happens to you when you're reading the Bible, these days online, you have so much great stuff available. You don't have to go buy a 20-volume commentary set. You can go on, like, ask ask a pastor what a good website is. I think Bible Gateway is pretty good, uh, Bible Hub, Blue Letter Bible, and they're like free sites that you can dig into scriptures. And so from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subject to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Okay, Jesus says this, Whoever has ears, let him hear, okay? That is a clue that God, Jesus has put in there, almost like a secret message, a code that everybody is allowed to find out about. You just have to listen, okay? You don't even need commentaries. If you just get with God in his presence and say, I don't really understand something, sometimes he can just bring that revelation, okay? So John was the greatest prophet before Christ. Prophets, I told you, were more esteemed than kings, and he was saying, on earth, of all the prophets, John was the greatest. He had the best job. He was the one right before Jesus. All the other hitters in the game, nice, nice, nice. But the one who gets the winning out of the park, that's the one everyone remembers, right? So John was the greatest prophet on earth. And But in the kingdom the one who comes to the Father through Christ's righteousness, who follows Christ, is greater than him. John's job was the most important job on earth. He had this amazing destiny, this great job description. But that is nothing compared to the least person who accepts Christ and the righteousness that he has done. The work on the cross, anyone in this room who accepts that and says, God, I give you my life, you will be greater in the kingdom than John was a prophet on earth. Isn't that cool? It's like, oh, thank you, Lord. Now I know what that means. Can we all agree that there are lots, lots of good people, essentially, but we need to follow Christ first? Here are a few things that can hinder you from keeping your focus on Christ. I love how that actually works. I always have to check. So hindrances to following Christ. Number one is circumstances. And um, Ernie talked a little bit about, you know, Gord was talking about that with bringing Victoria home and just how you never know what your circumstances are going to be next week. Hey, we don't even know tomorrow. Do you know nobody owns tomorrow? The healthiest person in the room doesn't own tomorrow. The richest person in the world does not own tomorrow. Only God knows, right? So circumstances will trip you up if you think it is the chief indicator of God being good in your life. 
John was the greatest prophet, and he struggled with prison. Prison did not equal the Messiah has come. And a lot of people, uh, now this is just kind of my thinking, but maybe you want to go here with me. A lot of people, it's just preached that John was offended because he was in prison and the Messiah wasn't. And if he really was the Messiah, why was he in prison? Let's think about this. If John, who lived in the wilderness for 30 years, ate locusts, wore gross clothes, I think he was not offended with being in prison. You want to know what I think he was offended with? I think the man who calls people broad of vipers, the man who was in prison because he told Herod, you are wrong to be with your brother's wife. I think he was more offended that there is injustice happening and you're not stepping up because old prophet, old covenant prophets were all about justice. They were about the message of the Lord because there was no message of grace yet. There was a message of our sins will be atoned by the blood of animals and one day a Messiah will come. So maybe, I'm not saying I know this, I didn't read it in a commentary, but maybe he was offended because the king is doing something wrong, people are sinning everywhere, and you just seem to be going to sinners' houses. Maybe that's what tripped him up, because Jesus says, blessed is he who is not offended. Who knows? Um, How about the Israelites, okay? (laughs) You want to talk about bad circumstances? They are crying out, Lord, deliver us. God sends Moses. And what is the Pharaoh's response? You will now build more bricks, and I'm taking away the straw. Does that make you feel like, I think the answer's coming? No, it makes you rise up against the guy who says he's going to be your deliverer, and you cry out and complain, and it just, I'm telling you, did God actually have a plan to deliver them? You bet he did. Did he know when that was going to happen? Yeah. Did he know Pharaoh would make days harder for them? Absolutely. Circumstances are not the only indicator that God is is okay with you. Okay? Circumstances can be if there are a bunch of other things that aren't lining up. If you keep wandering off the path and you get yourself in trouble, circumstances will point at you and say, oh, how did I get here? Don't let that be the, mis- the interpretation. That's a misinterpretation. Uh, if you're doing the right thing, if you're calling out to him, if you're trusting him, if you're letting him be Lord of your life, that is not the only indicator. Don't get tripped up in circumstances. In a court of law, circumstantial evidence is only submissible if it can be backed up with truth circumstances is not evidence. Distractions. Distractions. The enemy wants to do everything today to distract you from thinking about that day. You know which day that is, right? That day, that day when the least is greater than the greatest on earth. He wants to do everything to distract you from that. It's like this. (laughs) One day, Someone, somewhere, told you about Jesus. Maybe you were in a church. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was at work. Maybe it was a stranger. And something in you twerked and said to your brain, I want that. I want what they're talking about, okay? Okay. 
And just like this, God's spirit came to dwell in you. It was just like that. It wasn't you go to school for three years. It wasn't you go beat yourself up for a while. It wasn't you put a whole bunch of money into good things. It certainly wasn't knock on how many doors you can before you die. It was just this easy. Something in you said, I want that, and you believed. And that's how God dwells in us, just that simple. And the Bible says that the kingdom, unless we come like a child, we, we don't get to go in. It's got to be simple. If it's hard, that disqualifies 90% of us in the room. Okay, so you accepted Christ, or you can today, and your spirit became alive, and it was like, wow. It was like the best massage in the world. You loved everyone, and it was just like, honestly, I just think we should all get along. And for some reason, everything looked better, it felt better, and, you know, I think most people who accept the Lord get a bit of a feeling with it, you know? I, I don't know, we don't live by feelings, and people receive from God different ways, but I think um, most people did. So you felt so alive. But what if you didn't feed your spirit? What about if you started comparing your Christian life to other Christian lives? And what if you got your eyes on people? And you started following what they said. And what about if you started kind of thinking there are certain rules to following God? And I'll just follow what those rules say. If you started comparing yourself and just getting your eyes off of the original way you found him, you started to deflate. And you know what happens? It's like a marriage that's gone cold. You can't exactly explain what happened. And I don't know where I lost it. I know I loved that person at one time. But man, I can't for the life of me figure it out. And you feel like you just fell out of love which Ray says it's not possible, and I agree with him. Okay, so Paul in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 12 uh, is talking to people about had this kind of problem, and he says in verse 10, sorry, 1, Paul, 1 Corinthians verse 1, 10 to 12. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, all of you, that all of you would agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Cleo's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. And another says, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? Who do you follow after? Who do you follow after? Oh, man. Nobody is a good Bible teacher like Beth Moore. Man, she is so smart. Right, Colleen? She's awesome. And she's got the Texas accent. And, you know, it's awesome. Joyce Myers. Do you know Joyce Myers has crossed more denominational lines and worldwide ministries than any other ministry? Oh, yeah, she's a little bit of the John the Baptist. She's a little bit of a truth teller, isn't she? And it works for her. But yet if we follow after her, we lose because she's not 
she's only a part of the representation of what Christ is like. You know, maybe you're a Joel Olstein person, and you just love to smile like him. Sometimes we want to dress like our favorite person, right? But was Billy Graham, was Lance Steves crucified for you? No. And the problem is people are people, and they make mistakes all the time. And you know what I always say? Until someone comes along who has paid a higher price than Jesus, they don't have more authority over my life. I'm always going to find out the truth from him first. And if someone else confirms what he's told me, yay. But otherwise, nobody has that much authority over you. After Jesus was baptized, after Jesus was baptizing, some of John's loyal disciples came. Some of John's loyal try that again. After Jesus was baptizing, some of John's disciples came to him and said to John, Jesus is baptizing people. And what did John respond to them? It was kind of like, you know, they're so loyal, right? Here they had heard John say, one is coming greater than me. He's the Messiah. But they got tripped up because they were following a man and they were following a ministry. And they're like, hey, his ministry's getting bigger. He's baptizing. And John says, which every good leader should say, yeah, he must increase and I must decrease. If you are following after anyone who doesn't point you to Christ, you're falling after um, maybe not the right person. They do not tell you you have, good leaders don't tell you you have to do anything. John's response was that he must increase and we must decrease. Isolation will hinder you from following Christ. And, you know, we look at John the Baptist and say, well, he was in the wilderness for 30 years. Yeah, but then he was with people. And he's an exception. 99% of the people in the Bible were with other people. Look at the Israelites. They were with millions of people all the time. Okay, so God's plan for you is not only to fill your spirit with him and to dwell in you, but that you would be a functioning part of the body. Remember, no one person can fully represent Christ. The new covenant, so the old covenant was about uh, sacrificing and repentance and... um, Everyone's like, what does she have behind there? It's not that great. (laughs) Okay, so the old covenant was about repentance and, um, and looking ahead to what's coming. But the new covenant was about the bride of Christ. It wasn't no, it was no longer about segregation and, you know what, if you're not from the right family, You can't even go into certain parts of the temple. It was about the new new covenant is about everybody can come in. So it's about the bride and the church and the church being unified. And when the church is unified, it is unstoppable. The world will know we are Christians, a heaven culture on earth. Remember verse 10, uh, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. What would it be if we were united in mind and thought? You know what I think it would be? It would be we would be united in deeds as well. And I think there's a lot of good thoughts that happen and a lot of good. God puts on people's hearts some really cool ideas. 
but they're isolated and they're not getting together with other people and saying, let's make this happen. And, you know, if God's put on your heart to, you know, be a prayer walker or do something that's kind of, well, I don't know, it's kind of different, you should go for it. You know, because what happens is when you step out, and especially when you step out together, that's when supernatural things happen. See, one can put 1,000 to flight, but two can put 10,000. And 200, well, that can put like a gazillion. So if we could get over ourselves, over being isolated and being guarded and protecting and start being vulnerable again, here's a picture of what I think God thinks that could look like. <laughs> so one person full of God's spirit is awesome, but a whole body of Christ Okay, go crazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> a whole body of Christ together united, that, that's awesome. So you have to guard the most valuable thing you have. Have you ever lost your credit card? We did last summer, and uh, we were in Salmon Arm last summer on that sabbatical. It was awesome. And Lance comes to me, and he goes, Cindy, I have lost my credit card. And I panicked because we're away from home. So there's something about not being in your house. You feel a little more, you know, things aren't secure. So I'm like, Lance, you've, did you call the credit card company? He goes, no, I'm not going to. And I'm like, what? Are you crazy? We've got to call them right away. He goes, no, I've checked on it, and they're actually spending less money than you would have. <laughs> Just joking. So, but seriously, if you lose your credit card, what do you do? You immediately start thinking, okay, where's the last place I used it? What, what could have happened? Like, honestly, like that is, is part of your ID, identity theft. Has ever, anyone ever had identity theft? It is scary. My mom will never have identity theft because when she cuts up an old card, she cuts it in such tiny pieces. She spreads it out into different garbage cans. She takes some to garbage cans away from our house in other buildings. I'm like, if anyone ever steals your identity, mom, they deserve to have it. That's amazing. She's just, she's not, she in the nursery. She didn't even get to hear me say that. But seriously, you panic and you rack your brain and you might go back to the last location you were. But with God's presence inside of us, we need to be aware of it every day and we need to guard it more than the most important document you have, more than the most valuable thing you own, more than your children. We need to do what it takes. But if you were to find that it's gone, if you find that it's deflated, you need to do whatever it takes to get it back. You know, it says in Luke chapter 5 about Jesus, he was healing people all the time. The man was surrounded by crowds. We cannot use the excuse of being busy because he was, people were around him all the time. And guess what? God is so fair. We have exactly the same thing Jesus had. We get 24 hours in one day. He didn't get 26 you know, he became a human, and he lived human rules. But in Luke 5, 16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Jesus knew the secret to having that relationship with the Father, and that was getting away and being quiet and meeting with his Father. Jesus' secret to not losing the most valuable thing in his life with that he was, all, was that he was always checking on it. And here's another thing about John, and I'm not saying 
I would never want to judge anyone who I'm going to meet in heaven one day. I hate it when people talk about the Bible and, and mock certain people like, oh, Peter, what a, you know, a doughhead or something. It's like, are you kidding? You're going to actually meet him. And do you know how much he accomplished for the kingdom? No, thank you. But <clears throat> I just find it curiously interesting that it says Jesus often went out to the wilderness, but we don't see that recorded about John. John was around crowds a lot too. Maybe John lost his connection with the wilderness and maybe that's why his offense of being in prison or his offense of, of the kingdom not increasing the way he thought. He said, my, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. You know, maybe he was thinking that as I ease off on, you know, as I step back, he's going to become more the voice of justice. <clears throat> But we don't see it recorded anywhere that John um, often went to the wilderness. One part, excuse me for a second. One part of the crucifixion passage that has always tweaked my attention, you know, like the other one about John in heaven and the least. Okay, this one has always tweaked my attention. Um, the veil was ripped in two from top to bottom. In the temple, the veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. Only priests on certain days could go in there. This was the mother of all china cabinets. Don't look at it. Don't touch it. Um, it was just, it was a visual reminder. This big, gorgeous curtain was a, bit, was a visual reminder that you cannot be where I am. They knew that. They knew we can go so far, but we can't go back there. And at first I used to think when it says the veil was torn in two, I thought like a wedding veil that you could kind of see through a little bit and like, oh, one day I'll get to go in there. And it's not like that. You know, the veil was on four pillars to hang. It was four inches thick, 60 feet high, 60 feet. It's like way higher than here, hey? Is this 60 feet? I know, I don't even know measurements, but I'm like 60 feet. How feet? How many feet are you tall? Okay, like 10 lances tall. 20 feet wide, it took 300 priests to carry it. This was not a veil, as many of us may think. It was a fortress of woven carpets, okay? This was not penetratable by somebody going, hey, I know a good thing. While he's on the cross, let's rip the veil. No, no, no. And the reason it says this, the veil was torn in two from top to bottom. They didn't even have a ladder big enough that you would be able to do that. Only God could rip that veil from the top, from heaven, down to earth. It's now ripped in two. And that's not circumstantial evidence. So now it says that Jesus was on the cross. He said, it is finished the earth quaked, there was darkness, and the veil was torn. So when the scripture says it was ripped from the top to the bottom, the only one who could have done that was God. No longer were we separated, but we could come close to him. It was no longer saying, you can't come in here. It was wide open. Were people astounded at that? I don't know. There, it's mentioned in scripture, but I always want more details. I'm a woman, and I'm just like... Well, weren't people 
mystified? Like, did people then just start going in there? Did they repair it? What was the backstory of that? And we don't have that information. But all I know is that the most important part of it was that when Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, and the soldiers came and they pierced his side, and it says water and blood poured out. And what happened to Adam in the garden? God opened his side and made him a wife. When Jesus was pierced on the cross, water and blood came out like a birth, and the bride of Christ was born in that moment. And the veil was ripped, and God was saying, everything's different now. The old covenant is now officially over, and here is a new covenant. And you're allowed to come in, and even more than that, you're allowed to rule and reign with me. I'm giving you keys to a kingdom that, that you have beyond. I know for sure that when we stand before him, we won't wish we had bought a bigger house. We won't wish we had done something according to stuff. But I can guarantee you, we will wish we had prayed more prayers. We will wish we had told more people. We had wished we'd loved more. The only regret we can have in that moment when he puts everything on the altar and he says it's going to be tried by fire and all our deeds are going to be on there. And the only thing that stands are the things that were done in love, the things that, that are eternal. And so I think no matter what it costs here, it really doesn't cost too much to share what God's given us. The secret to Christ's triumph was that he lived from that holy place, that secret place with his father, and um, he attended to it with the highest priority, even when it wasn't convenient, even when life was hard. We're going to close now and uh, just invite the worship team to come. I do, uh, we do have a ministry at our church. It's called God Encounter, and it's just prayer ministry. And basically what it is is you take people who aren't really trained in counseling or Bible college, those kind of things, and you just work, sit with people, and you help them to connect to God's presence. And once they can perceive God, once you get rid of whatever lie has been blocking them, once you get rid of whatever thing has been hindering them, then they can feel God, they can hear him. And then that's where God just takes over. And uh, we had one a couple weeks ago, and I asked this person if I could share it. It just touched me. This happens all the time because when God speaks to people, it ministers to everyone in the room. And so this person had a, a, a scene, like God had showed them a picture, reminded them of something from the Bible, and it was Jesus at Lazarus's house. And Martha was there, Mary was there, Jesus was there, and the person could really identify with Martha. They could identify with, I'm busy, I've got stuff to do. But they were looking at people sitting around Jesus, and Mary was at Lazarus at Jesus' feet, and Jesus just looked at her, and she knew that Jesus was saying, there's room for you too. And I think sometimes, you know, we feel like only leaders are really spiritual. No, they're... They, they might pray a bit more than average people because they're so desperate they need God to continue. If not, they burn out and die. But God is no respecter of persons. It's no longer priests or pastors who get to have more. 
You get to be as close to God as you want. He is so fair. His presence is what makes us different from any other religion. It is the coolest part of Christianity. And if you've lost it, if you feel like it's deflated from where it once was, you got to do it. Do you know how many people I talk to lately who God is telling them, you got to get things right. You got, you know, they interpret it through this way. You got to go to church more. You know what? I need to pray with my kids more. I need to. God is sounding. He is drawing this generation. You don't need to look very far to see, you know, people being beheaded because they're Christians. It's like, this is barbaric. Is this actually happening in our lifetime? And whether Christ comes back soon or not, his call to us, that nudging on our heart to get back into his presence and to really tend that fire, that's his grace. That's not a fear thing, like you're going to miss going to heaven. That's his grace saying, come on, come on. Don't let the biggest regret of your life be, I wish I had tended to that. Um, Jesus told a story about the ten virgins, and five had enough oil and five didn't. And the call came, the bridegroom is coming. Isn't that interesting? In that parable, they had a warning. It's coming soon. And I think that's what our newscast is. I think that's what the, the culture of earth is right now. He's coming. Whether it's soon, as in 10 years, or only a couple more generations, I can guarantee you won't regret pouring your whole life out for him. And I'm just going to leave you with this. You know, um, it's time to close. And if you have to go, then we just bless you to go and have a great Thanksgiving day with your family and a great week. But if God's nudging you right now, I just encourage you. There is no turkey or ham dinner that will compare to making your life right. Whether you come up to the front, if you'd like someone to pray for you, we can or you kneel in your chair, or you kneel. But I just encourage you, if any part of you says, God, and he's so good, he doesn't stand there and say, where have you been? He just says, what, what's gotten in the way? And he doesn't ask because he needs the answer. He knows. He asks so that you'll find out the answer. And he just so gently stands there with his hand extended. He says, would you like to give that to me? Because that's not from me. And so his offer is extended. So James chapter 4, I'll just read this. So let God work his will in you. Yell aloud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and the games are over and get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. Thank you guys for listening. Bless you. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching from Coley Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. 
Only Community Church, a place where families come together.